Good morning. Glad all of you are here today. This is going to be a good week. It's Thanksgiving week, for, which, for those of you that have school, it means you get off of school for a little bit. That's good, right? Oh, the teachers cheered louder than the kids. How about that? <laughs> I know you're excited about that. Maybe you get off of work. Maybe you don't. I don't know. But this week should be full of friends and family and all of that. It's going to be, it's going to be a good week as we're getting ready for the Christmas season. And we will officially kick it off on Friday. We're really excited about that. And we've been going through this series of, uh, in Galatians. And actually, this is going to take us, we're almost done. Um, and so we have this week and then next week. And I'm not sure if there's a week after that or not. It's going to take us a little bit to get to Christmas and the messages. Um, but you guys know the story anyway. And so we're going to finish up with Galatians. That's the ch- Listen, that's the challenge of Christmas. As a pastor, every year, I'm like, it's the same story. You know, so we got to figure out, which is good, but also I got to, you know, figure out how to make this, you know, fresh or whatever. So um, we're gonna, it's like the movie, The Star, right? It's from the position of the animals. Like, we don't know how else to tell the story. So it's just going to be the donkey, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so anyway, we're going through Galatians. We're getting towards, getting towards the, the finish. And, and what Paul has been doing is setting a very firm foundation for the Christians in Galatia, multiple churches spread out all over the place. Um, and they were brand new to this whole thing. They were not Jewish. They gener- generally speaking, they were Gentiles. And so they didn't understand the law. They didn't understand all the Old Testament. They didn't understand all that stuff. They didn't understand the covenants. They had heard about it probably. But Paul comes into town and he tells them, hey, you can be a child of God. You can be saved. But it's not by, you don't have to become Jewish. You don't have to be, get circumcised. You don't have to keep the whole law and all that stuff. You just have to put your faith in Jesus. And if you put your faith in Jesus for salvation, his work on the cross, all sufficient merit, his work on the cross, if you put your faith in him, then you can receive the grace of God and you can be saved. And you don't have to do all that other stuff. And so that, they heard that message. They received it with open arms. They accepted Jesus as their Savior. And I want you to hear the same message today, too. You don't have to do anything to qualify to be saved. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to earn your way to him. It is purely by the grace of God, a free gift given to you if you put your trust in Jesus to save you instead of continuing to try to save yourself, which you're incapable of doing. Put your faith in Jesus to save you, and he will save you right now. And not only do your works not save you to begin with, but your, your works also don't keep you saved. It's not like I, I worked my way into salvation and then I can work my way out of salvation. It's not like my works weren't good enough to earn salvation, but now my works have to keep my salvation. It just doesn't work that way. And Paul sets out that whole thing all the way through the book, the beginning of Galatians. And by the way, we're like 80% of the way through Galatians and he hasn't even really gotten to application yet. <laughs> It's all been theology. It's all been setting a foundation for them. And he knows that that foundation has to be rock solid in order for them to build on top of it. Well, now what we're doing, we actually started last week and we're going to continue this week. He's starting to build on top of it. Okay, so I am saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, not of my own works. And I don't have to put myself back under the law because the law is not going to produce in me what God wants to produce in me, not the old law, and we've also talked a lot, not any kind of new law or set of, set of rules or regulations or all these things that legalistic Christians try to put over Christians. We are free. We are free, and we can choose what to do with our life from here on forward, knowing that we are not going to be punished for our sins, not the sins before salvation, not the sins after salvation. We're not going to be punished for those eternally. So what do we do? Because, because the fear is, okay, 
the big criticism of this teaching and the, the, the we call them Judaizers, the Judaizers that came in on the Galatians and confused them and said, and said, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yes, salvation, yes, faith in Jesus, absolutely. But also you have to get circumcised. Also you have to keep these rules and regulations from the law. Also basically you have to become Jewish. And these were Jewish Christians that came in and told them that. All right. So, so all of this that is going on, okay, we have to be able to see what is the truth. We have to be able to see what is the truth. And here's the challenge that the Judaizers were making that a lot of people make on this, this theological position, this understanding that salvation is by the grace of God through faith in Jesus, not of our works at all. And our salvation is kept by the grace of God through faith in Jesus and is not by our works at all. All right, here's the, here's the fear in that. If you and I are not going to be judged for our sin, if there's no eternal punishment for sin for us anymore, well, isn't, that, isn't salvation then just a get-out-of-jail-free card? Like, can't we just put our faith in Jesus and then go and live however we want to? What, what, are, the, what are the rules or the regulations? How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to walk if we don't know what the rules are, if, we don't, if there isn't a standard by which we're judging ourselves or judging someone else? Can, couldn't somebody, I mean, does sin even exist anymore? Can we just do whatever we want? It doesn't matter. Is that what's going on here? Now, that would have been the, one of the criticisms they would have made of Paul. It's one of the criticisms that I hear about what I teach too. So could, where is sin? Where is accountability? Where is repentance? Where is, where is restoration? Where is change? Where is challenge? Where is all of that in this? That's a great question. And today we're going to talk about it. Some of you have been waiting for it. You've been waiting weeks to hear this side of the coin. But we needed to spend 80% of the time on freedom and the truth. Before we can talk about how do we walk in this freedom. You've got to spend the majority of your time on the foundation of the building before you start building the sticks up on top of it. Amen. All right, so we've set the foundation. I hope you're rock solid on that. If you're not, I want to encourage you to read and study Galatians on your own, or you can go back and listen to the messages in this series if you want help learning and, and growing and, and understanding what everything means that, that you're reading. All right, so we're going to build on that foundation. What are we supposed to do? We're picking up in Galatians chapter 5, and we're picking up in 16. We left off at 15 last week, picking up at 16. All right, I say then, so this is, this is a transition statement, right? Because of what I've said, I say then, walk in the spirit. This is what we are supposed to do. Not, not walk under a law or religious system or rules. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you and I make the decision, and it's a decision we have to make, if you and I make the decision to walk in the spirit, then we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, what does he mean when he says lust of the flesh? Now, I probably, if we're just reading this, we just pulled this up out of the context and we're reading it, we would think that he means just any sin. And that could apply here. But more specifically, if you, if you were here last week and you remember what he just said in, in verses prior, he said, do not, he said, you, 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 my brothers are called to freedom. But do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Remember that verse? Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Well, what's the opposite of using your freedom as, a, as an opportunity for the flesh? He says, don't do that, but in love serve one another. See, here's what the flesh is. The flesh is our self-centeredness. 
It's our self-righteousness. It's our selfishness, our self-focus. That's where sin springs out of. And so when he says, don't use this as an opportunity for the flesh, it means don't use your freedom to be served. This is what we talked about. To be served by God, by everyone around me. But use your freedom as an opportunity to serve one another. There's a change. See, what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say were the greatest commandments in the whole law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Okay, not one and two, but one A and one B. They're the same. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what the Spirit leads us to do. To take our attention off of ourselves off of our selfishness, off of our pride, off of our arrogance, off of our self-righteousness and our self-focus, and to put it on God and other people. Amen. It's a total shift of focus. This is what the Spirit is leading us to do. And as he draws us out of self-centeredness, as he draws us out of selfishness, he draws us out of sin. Because what sin does, sin is any time that we look at God, his design, his will, his intention, his command, his whatever, and we say, God, I don't agree, I'm doing my own thing. That's sin, always. So what the Spirit is leading us to do is to look at God and say, I love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I exist to serve you. And so I will do what you want me to do. And I exist to serve and love others, not for them to serve and love me. The Spirit is making this change in our life. And he says, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh. The Spirit can take us to levels of holiness and love and honor to God that the law never could. So he is drawing us to a higher level in love and sacrifice and in service. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And he says that when you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Going on in verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things you wish. The, the spirit and the flesh cannot operate at the same time in our life. And so if we're walking in the flesh, then we are not walking in the spirit. But if we are walking in the spirit, we will not walk in the flesh. And so the desire for the believer is to walk 100% of our life in the spirit. Amen. But that's in the freedom that we have. And it's up to you and to me to decide whether that's actually what we want. How, what is my desire? What is my passion? How do I want to live? Do I want to live the life that God wants me to live in the spirit? Or do I want to live the life that I want to live in the flesh? That's, the, that's what's happening. And then he says in verse 18, but if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Why are we not under the law? Because we don't need it. Because the spirit is drawing us to a higher level, to a level the, the law could never take us. The battle is between the flesh and the spirit within us. And that rages in me, and it rages in you. And we ultimately will decide which one wins. Well, why, why would you choose to walk in the spirit versus walking in the flesh? Well, when we are living sin, or, uh, sinfully and we're living selfishly, it ruins our life, whether we realize it or not. Sin, living, living sinfully, selfishly, arrogantly, pridefully, all that. 
it wrecks our lives. Now, you can see that in a lot of really practical ways. I mean, you, you can see how sin absolutely destroys people's lives. And so some of them may seem more obvious and some may seem less obvious or less innocent and more innocent. But sin ultimately will wreak havoc in your life. Sin will wreak havoc in your heart. It'll turn you into an insecure, scared, anxious shell of a person. Living sinfully will cause you to end up just caving in on yourself. And and you'll start to realize that the world, everything around you, can't give you what it is you're wanting. You'll end up with this, this this selfish void that you're trying to fill and nothing will ever meet the expectation that you think it needs to meet in order to be satisfied. So you'll end up living your entire life unsatisfied, frustrated, confused, and angry with the world and with yourself. Sin will wreak absolute havoc on your relationships. And it's one of the most important things, if not the most important thing in your life. Relationships where I am looking at the other person, and this could be a spouse, it could be children, it could be friends, it could be boss, it could be anybody in your life. If you have a relationship and your mentality is selfish or sinful, if the relationship is they exist to serve me, they exist to fulfill me, you will never, ever be satisfied. Ever. Ever. You will, always, you will always either be disappointed in the relationships that you have or you'll drop those relationships and go look for other ones that are finally going to fill the thing that you're trying to have happen, which is to have your selfish desires filled. It's never going to happen. And so you will just end up in destructive relationship, dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship after dysfunctional relationship because it's all about you or it's all about me. It, sin destroys us from the inside out. And if we walk in the flesh, that's what we're going to experience. We're going to end up chasing a carrot on our stick our, uh, our entire lives and never, never, ever, ever be satisfied. So what's the, the opposite of that? Okay, We live in the flesh. We wreck our lives, our relationships, our spirit. And ultimately, by the way, this is important to you, that when Jesus Christ returns and brings his kingdom... Those who have lived in the, in the flesh and those who have lived sinful and selfish lives will not, be, will not receive reward in the kingdom. Those are not the kinds of people that Jesus is looking to give responsibility to in the kingdom because they don't reflect his character. So you will lose. It, so there is a consequence for sin in that sense. There is an eternal consequence. It's not punishment, but it is a loss of reward. But if we live in the flesh or if we live in the spirit, if we live in the spirit, our lives are restored. When we start to realize that, or when we realize that we are to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, and the Spirit is leading us to do that, and we take the attention and the, uh, the, all of that off of ourselves, and we cease to be selfish, and we begin being selfless in the Spirit, all of a sudden, everything changes. All of a sudden, we're not expecting anything out of the world anymore. It's not about what the world is going to give to us. It's not, what about, it's not about what opportunities or situations are going to give to us. It's about what I bring to the opportunity or the situation that I'm in right now to serve God and to serve other people. Amen. Total shift of focus. It, it totally changes the way that I look at the relationships that I have with people. And now in my marriage and with my children or with my parents or with my friends or with my coworkers or whatever, they don't exist to serve me. I exist to serve them. And I can always give them 100% of who I am. And so that relationship is then built up. 
It, it, by the way, if you feel like you've been bouncing from relationship to relationship and you have dysfunctional relationships all over the place, look first to see, am I being selfish in this relationship? And look second to see if the other person is being selfish in the relationship. When two people are selfless and they choose to serve one another, that relationship can almost always work. Because it's the way that we were designed to live. And so you will see that your relationships will be restored. Your life will be restored. Your spirit and your closeness and your fellowship with God will be restored. Because now I'm not looking at God for what he can give to me. It's not about what God's going to do for me. He's already done everything he needs to do for me. He's done everything he could for me. He gave his, Jesus gave his life on the cross. But now my relationship with God is what, about what I bring to him. That's what the spirit leads me to do. Not what he can do for me. It's one of the reasons I have, I'm so frustrated with so much of Christian music right now. Christian worship music. That's all about what God's going to do for you. It's backwards. Our life is about what we do for him, about serving him and loving him. And yes, he does things for us, but that's just icing on the cake, okay? That's not an expectation that we have. He has given his life. Jesus has given his life on the cross for us, and that is enough. That That is plenty. And so now we give our life back to him. So when we walk in the spirit and he turns our attention off of ourselves. We begin to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then, yes, also, ultimately, when Christ returns and brings his kingdom, those are the kinds of people that are going to be rewarded. Sacrificial servants. What an upside-down kingdom from the kingdom we live in right now. All right, the people in power are the ones who love others and care for others above themselves. And so that's what we're trying to do. And the question is, which life do you want to live? And now Paul has these Christians in Galatia and he, he wants them not only to understand what this looks like, what walking in the spirit looks like, and what walking in the flesh looks like, but also, very importantly, he wants them to look at him, Paul, and he wants them to look at these Jewish Christian leaders, these Judaizers that are coming in and confusing them. And he said, I want you to tell me. I want to, he doesn't say this. I'm, I'm assuming this as I read. <laughs> what he wants them to do is to look at them and look at him and say, which one of us looks more like walking in the spirit? And which one of us looks more like walking in the flesh? And so for us today, we might look at Paul, you might look at me or other people that are influencing you, or you might think, we might think about legalistic Christians or teachers or whatever, and say, which one looks more like walking in the spirit? Which one looks more like walking in the flesh? How do I know if I'm walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh? How do I know if the people who are influencing me are walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh? And in order to do this, he is going to use an analogy that is incredibly famous in the scripture, some of the most famous verses in the entire Bible, and an analogy that makes a whole lot of sense. He's going to talk about a tree and its fruit. All right, Jesus used this analogy. This, this is used all over the place, and particularly for them, they're an agrarian society, and so they really understand this. What is the easiest way to identify a tree? By its fruit, right? I mean, you look up and you see an apples. You see apples on a tree. That's an apple tree. You know that. And so what Paul wants them to see is if you, I want to talk about what the fruit is here. And when you see the fruit, you'll know whether you or the person who's influencing you are walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. All right. This is one of the easiest ways to identify a tree. So actually I have a couple pictures I want to show you. This is what I was running up to the booth to, to ask them to do before the series. I forgot to tell them about these pictures. Anyway, I want to show you a tree and see if you can identify the tree for me. Okay. Simple. All right. Here's the first one. Where is it? Sides? Okay. Orange tree. An orange tree. Yeah. Well, now, how did you figure that out? Did you, uh, did you do a, 
Did you do a study of the, the soil around the tree to find its makeup? Did you peel off some bark to see what kind of bark or the composition of the tree? Did you look at the leaves and their shape and their size and, and how, what kind of clusters they grow in? And did, Is that how you figured out what the tree was? No. How did you figure out the tree? The fruit, right? I know this is obvious, but we're just going to drive this home. You can look at the fruit in your life and tell which way, you're, which way you're walking. You can look at the fruit of someone else's life and you can tell, though you don't judge them, you can assess which one they're walking in. All right, let me give you another one. This is a little bit harder. Does anybody know? Pomegranate. That's right. My daughter Josie loves a pomegranate, right? Yeah, that's a pomegranate. Got the, all these little seeds inside, right? It's a beautiful, beautiful fruit. And a beautiful tree. I got one more. This is a little tougher. You ready? It's not an Osage orange? Stephen Stephen West. Was that you? Jackfruit. That's right. That's a jackfruit. Maybe that just ruined my analogy. But the point is, (laughs) the point is, I wanted to pick something interesting. I don't want to just do an apple. It's boring. So... All right, yeah, that's a jackfruit. Anyway, you can tell. Sometimes it's harder to tell which way you're walking, okay? We'll, just, we'll say it that way, right? you like that. Uh, the, the easiest way to tell what a tree is is by looking at its fruit if it has it. The easiest way to tell if you're walking in the spirit or if you're walking in the flesh is to look at the fruit that's coming out of it. You can do that in your own life, and you can assess others when needed, particularly if the person is, uh, is influencing you. All right, so here's what we're going to do. He's going to give a bunch of examples. He's going to start with walking in the flesh. And we're going to go through each one of these words. Um, some of them will are self-explanatory. We won't spend a lot of time on each, on each one. Some of them will require a little bit of explanation because when Paul wrote this, and we talk about this a lot, but when Paul wrote this, he chose his words very carefully, but he chose Greek words, not English words. And so we don't always have a perfect English word to pair with the Greek word. Uh, translators work really, really hard, and they do the best that they can. Um, without. But sometimes a word needs a whole word picture along with it because when the Greeks read this, they would have pictured this, but we just don't have an English word that pictures this very well. So on some of these, we're going to talk about, uh, about the nuances of the word. Okay, So we're in uh, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. As we go through this, as we read through these, I want you to be thinking first and foremost about yourself. And that's what I was doing as I was reading and studying this week. Do the, are these me? Is this fruit that I see happening in my heart, my life, my relationships? And, and this is all, by the way, in the context of relationships. That's what he's talking about. Um, so look in your relationships too. And then also be thinking about the people that are influencing you, that you're following and you're listening to, um, that, are, that are helping to shape and form who you are. Um, do any of these um, identify them? Okay. Works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery. I don't think too many people would question that one, <laughs> but adultery. And, and it's actually interesting, just in case you have a different version than the New King James. Um, New King James, King James, and some other versions use a different set of texts than other translations like the ESV, NIV. Um, those, the New King James uses something called the majority text, which means these are the, the, the vast majority of manuscripts say it this way. Um, and then the other, uh, the other translations use something called the Textus Receptus, which means the earliest manuscript. So the earliest manuscripts don't have the word adultery here, but the majority of manuscripts do. So if you're reading in the ESV or something, this one might not be there, but it's here in the New King James. And I don't think any of us are going to argue with it anyway. <laughs> okay. So there might be a difference you find between English versions. Um, but adultery. 
Second, he says fornication. Now, this is the Greek word pornea, and this is a this is a general sexual immorality. All right, going outside of God's design and will for sexual relationships, fornication. Second, um, uncleanness. Uncleanness has to do with our internal passions and desires. All right, those are they were in, and again in, in a sexual context. So the 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 unclean desires and passions that we have in our heart. Um, then he says uh, lewdness is the next one, and this is external. So this is um, so he pairs these words together on purpose. Um, lewdness is is shamelessness. It's flaunting our sexuality. It might be uh, visual displays of that, or um, you know, looseness in our our uh, uh, what's in our uh, well, our mentality and, and our behavior when it comes to sexual things. So those four all fit together uh, as sexual sin. In verse twenty, he says idolatry. Idolatry would be the worship of any God other than God. And that could be an explicit God. That's something that these Gentiles would have been dealing with. They come out of a pagan culture. They're worshiping Greek and Roman gods and all kinds of things. They had these wild parties um, um, to different gods. And so they would, uh, they would might think that in their freedom that they could continue to worship these other gods or continue to do these other things. But he said that's a, that's a work of the flesh. So idolatry. Second is, um, sor- or next is sorcery. Sorcery, the, the root word that he uses here is the word pharma, which is interesting. Um, and they would have known exactly what he was saying when he said this because of their culture. Um, in their culture, there were, there were, we might call them witch doctors, okay? They're, they would be sorcerers who would give people drugs. That's why pharma is here. They would give people drugs to either put them into a, uh, a, like a transient spiritual state, often to worship false gods, or they would also give people drugs to use as poison to kill people. And in fact, the Roman government had a specific standing court to deal just with this issue. I can't pronounce the name, so I'm not going to, but they had a standing court to deal with crimes that were, crea- were, were perpetuated because of the people who were offering people drugs to do these things, whether they were spiritual in nature or hostile in nature. And so they would have been very aware of this going on. And he said, that is obviously from the flesh. That's obviously from the flesh. We don't have to look too far. He says next, hatred. This is hist- hostility or enmity between people. Now, the first ones that we've talked about are, are really obvious, He's like, yeah, of course those things. Yeah, obviously those things are sin. Obviously those things are outside the will of God. Obviously he doesn't want to do them. And if we're doing those things, then we are walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. Obviously. Hatred, on the other hand. Hatred we can sometimes justify. But Paul says that hatred is a work of the flesh. So I want you to think about what's in your own heart. I want you to think about what you perceive to be in the heart of the people who are influencing you. Hatred. Contentions. When we are contentious, when we are argumentative, when we put ourselves at odds with other people, where does that rise out of? That rises out of sinfulness. That rises out of the flesh. That rises out of selfishness. Contentions are are not from the spirit. Jealousies. 
And this one's a little weird because we, we hear the word jealousy and we think about, you know, wanting what somebody else has. That's not really what it means. It means zeal. All right. Somebody who is who is jealous in this way is zealous. They are they are um, they are hot headed. They are easily set off. All right. They are in instable. They they at the drop of a hat with one word or one thing, they just fly off the handle. That's what this is describing. He said that is not from that is not from the spirit. That is from the flesh. Jealousies. And then he says outbursts of wrath. So this is anger in that way. This is having a short temper. This is about being easily angry. He said, that is not from the spirit. That's from the flesh. And this is where we're getting into, okay, now we really need to do some some self-assessment. Is this me? Is this me? Is this describing me? Am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the spirit? Because the work of the flesh is obvious and this is not from him. Next, he says, selfish ambitions. And this this um, this is an interesting idea. It's all over the scripture. He's talking about electioneering, positioning, campaigning, trying to get myself to the top by, by definition or by, by association. For me to get to the top, I often have to push other people down to climb up that ladder. These are people who are trying to get power, who are trying to get prestige. He said, that does not come from, that does not come from the spirit. That comes from the flesh. Selfish ambitions, dissensions. When we are creating disunity between people, when we are creating divisions between people, particularly in the church, divisive teachings, we're right there wrong. Don't put, you know, forget about that, all that kind of stuff. Divisive, disunifying teaching or relationships. Next, he says heresies. And again, this is one that doesn't translate into English very well. What he's talking about is having a partisan spirit, sects. He's talking about sects. <laughs> he's, talking about, he's talking about people who isolate and push other people and say, we're the only ones who, who, who say that they're wrong and we're right. People that are choosing party sides or dividing over party lines, all that stuff. He said, that is not from the spirit. That is not from the spirit. That is from the flesh. It's from pride. I'm right, you're wrong. That is not from the spirit. Then he says, envy. Envy goes further than just wanting what someone else has. Envy is despising someone because they have it and you don't. Envy is wanting something so bad that you don't want them to have it because you can't have it. That is, that is selfish. That, is, that comes from the flesh. We got to be really, really careful of that one. Again, they're, they're, they're sort of getting a little more subtle even as we go. Right. Envy. Murders. Not subtle. Um, murders, <laughs> and this one's really interesting too, because do you know what murders means? Murders, that's what it means. <laughs> yeah, obviously killing someone else. And, and again, I, I don't think he's, he's not talking about war. He's not talking about self, he's not talk, self-defense. He's not talking about that stuff. He's talking about hating someone, despising someone, and choosing to end their life for that reason. That is not from the spirit. That is from the flesh. Murders. Drunkenness. Drunkenness. Now, this is one we have to be aware of. We have to be really careful with. The scripture does not tell us that alcohol is sinful or drinking alcohol is sinful, but it does tell us that drunkenness is sinful. 
Why? Why is it sinful? It's sinful because we shift into a, a, a mental state where no longer the spirit is in control, but the flesh takes over. And so the scripture even says, don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. You, you, you can't do both of those things. And so, so we have to be very careful about that. If you're somebody who chooses drink, you have to be very, very careful never to get, even, to get close to that line. Because that is not something that comes from the spirit. That's not a desire that comes from the spirit. That's the desire that comes from the flesh. And then the last thing he says in the list is revelries. Now, again, this, we really, this is not a word that makes a whole lot of sense to us. We don't use this word. But this, they, had, they would have wild parties. Oftentimes, they would be parties where they would be worshiping a false god like Bacchus, the god of wine. And they would have these wild parties where they would get hammered and then they would all pour out into the streets and cause all kinds of problems running around singing vandalizing assaulting people all like that was very common in their day and so that's what revelries or carousing was describing they were out of control they weren't fought, they weren't walking in the spirit they were very clearly walking in the flesh and I, I actually I didn't speak the truth that wasn't the last thing in the list the last thing in the list is and the like so the last thing in the list is etc. <laughs> in case we made the mistake of thinking this was an all-inclusive list. It's not. His point is the works of the flesh are evident. They are obvious. If you're looking for them and if you know what to look for, you can see this fruit. But I, I, would, I would tag on to this that we have to be honest about this when we see it and not justify it and not minimize it and not push it away and not say things like, well, you know, it's just how I am. I don't know what to tell you. It's just how I am. He says, Paul says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He doesn't mean people who practice these things are not saved. He doesn't mean that they're not going to be in the kingdom. He doesn't mean that they've lost their salvation. He means they're not going to have an inheritance later because these are not the kind of people that Christ is going to reward and give positions of authority and responsibility in the kingdom. He's not going to reward people like that. And so you can do all of those things and you can live that way if you want, but you're going to waste your life and you're going to wreck your life. So why would you do that? Live, the, live and walk in the spirit. And so we have to look at these things. We have to recognize them in our own life. We've got to make sure the people that are influencing us aren't exhibiting these things too. And then we have to, we have to say, what do I want to choose? What do I choose and what, I'm, what am I going to do? And we have to be honest about those things. Let me, let me give you an example for me. This is part of the et cetera on the list. Something that God has been showing me this year and that I've been working on really, because I want to walk in the spirit as much as I possibly can. Right? So... I constantly am finding that there are places in my life where I have blinders on, where I didn't see that I was walking in the flesh, and all of a sudden God shows me that I'm walking in the flesh, or he uses something to show me that I'm walking in the flesh, and then i got to deal with it. And so one of the things about me, that it, this is not going to surprise some of you, um, is that uh, I am a natural pessimist. Now, I would call myself a critical thinker. <laughs> Or, uh, or a realist. But I, I have a tendency, um, I have a tendency 
to be pessimistic about things, to, to look at something and to see only the bad thing about it, the 1% bad thing about it, instead of the 99% good thing about it, okay? Like that'll happen to me here, quite frankly. I'll come home from church and I'll be like, oh, that one thing went wrong. And that's all I can think about. It's all I can dwell on. It's all I can. And then Jess or someone else will talk to me and they'll be like, so can we talk about everything else? <laughs> but I dwell on that. Why? There's a lot of different reasons why, but they all, all of that comes out of my own selfishness or my own fear, or my own insecurity. All right. I'm a net. And, and what it leads me to do, it leads me not to be thankful. That's one of the reasons I was thinking about this this week. It leads me not to have gratitude because I'm not focused on the good things that happen. I'm focused on the one bad thing that happened. And so I'm not thankful and I'm not, and I feel frustrated and I feel whatever else. Now, here's the problem. For my entire life, I felt that way my entire life. For my entire life, what I've done is I have looked at that natural tendency to be pessimistic and to focus on the bad and to be disappointed and all those kinds of things. I've looked at it and I've said, it's just how I am. All the personality tests tell me that's who I am. And if that's who I am, then I guess that's just who I am. I guess that's just how God made me. And if God made me that way, well, then I just, I just, I guess it's fine. Here's the here, first thing. God didn't make me that way. But it is who I am. Maybe God wants to change me into who he wants me to be. Amen. Not maybe, actually. Definitely. And this is a place where I have been walking and living in the flesh my entire life and justifying it because it's just who I am. Instead of choosing to walk in the spirit and allowing him to change me and fill me with gratitude and thanksgiving. Where I have, I have put all, in all those things, I have put all the focus on not having received what I wanted to receive from the thing. Not going the way I wanted it to go. Instead of thinking about how I served and what I was able to give. What, being focused on myself rather than on God and other people. And so this is an area of my life where I've realized that I've been walking in the flesh my entire life and justifying it my entire life, and it's time for me to walk in the Spirit. And so this battle has been raging in me, and I've getting, been getting a little better and a little better and a little better in this area and that area, and, and I've been getting a little better as I go. And trying to let the Spirit win and walk with the Spirit more than I walk in the flesh this year than I did last year, and to do it again next year and the year after that. And one of the things that's really been helpful for me in that is as you're thinking about what your thing may be, um, one of the decisions that I made at the, the, the pushing of Jess, and I don't know if I've talked about this yet in the service. I've talked about it in group a lot. Um, but uh, Jess finally like, put her foot down about this, and she was right, <laughs> um, is that I've started seeing a counselor regularly. And I've needed to do that for years, and I said that I was going to do it for years, but my pride wouldn't let me do it. And I kept making excuses as to why I didn't need that. I didn't need that. They can't help me. They can't think about things like I think about things because I really pride myself on my ability to think things through. And uh, so I realized I had to get over myself and realize that I'm not that smart. And uh, was able to find a counselor after trying a couple of different ones. By the way, if you ever do that kind of thing, the first one you land with doesn't necessarily have to be the one who, who helps you. But finally found one who is definitely way smarter than me. And one of the things he's teaching me to do, and this may be helpful for you as well, is when that flesh pops up, and he's a Christian counselor, and he's, he's, he's been fantastic. He said, when that, when that flesh pops up, don't pretend it's not there. Don't just try to distract yourself and move on. 
look them dead in the face, and say, I know you, old friend. That's the phrase he used. That's, that's what sticks with me. I know you, old friend. But do I have evidence that you are true? What do I have evidence for? Because I'll have these thoughts pop up which are not true and which are not rational. And then I just dwell on those thoughts and then all of a sudden I'm living in a world in my head that doesn't actually exist in reality. And so I have to look at that thing and I have to say, I know you, old friend. Do I have evidence for you? What do I have evidence for? I have evidence for this. In fact, all of the evidence points to this. And so I see you and I know you're there, but I'm not gonna pay attention to you anymore. I'm gonna pay attention to what is true. This is the same thing Paul said in Philippians chapter four. Whatever things are good and pure and noble and true, think on, think on these things. This is what I'm learning to do. And to look at my nature and to say, yes, you know what? That is me. That is how I'm wired. That is who I am. But God didn't make me that way. I was born sinful. And so this pessimism, this negativity that I have in my heart and in my life does not come from the spirit. It comes from the flesh. And the spirit has probably been trying to change me for years and years and years. And I just wouldn't listen to him. And so now I've got to let it go. And now I have to try and walk in the spirit and know that that's there and know that that's in my nature. I see you, old friend, but I'm choosing to walk in a new way and to choose to walk in the spirit. And you may have things in your life that you look at. Maybe it's a temper. Maybe it's um, a desire or sin of some kind. And you look and you say, well, it's just the way I'm wired. I'm drawn to that or, I'm, or, or it's just how I am. But don't make the mistake of saying God made me that way. Because it may be part of the sin nature, the flesh that exists in every single one of us. And God may want to show you a much better path. And say, I don't want you to walk in that. I don't want you to walk in that because it's going to wreck your life oftentimes in ways you don't even see. I want you to walk in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, the fruit that you're going to see is completely different. It's completely different. Discipleship is the process of moving out of our broken and sinful state into God's will. And that's a choice we have to make. And then we have to, if we, want, if we want to walk in the Spirit, here's the word, we need to submit to the Spirit. Amen. By choice. By choice. Because we know that He is going to produce in our lives what the flesh cannot produce, what the law cannot produce. That he is going to walk us into his will, but we have to submit ourselves to him in order to do that. And oftentimes there are things we look at and we say, God, I know this is what your word says. I know this is what your will is. I know this is what your desire is. The world's telling me something totally different, but I am choosing to believe you. Amen. I'm choosing to believe you because I've submitted myself to you, not because I have to, but because I want to, because I love you, because I want to walk in the spirit and I want to be all that you created me to be. Those are hard decisions. Those are significant life changes. The question is, what do we want? And who do we want to be? And are we willing to be honest about it? He says this, all right, but that's the, the fruit. It's obvious. You saw all those other things. But here's what you want to see. This is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Now, I learned, the, I memorized these as a young child. I did it with a song. Anybody else? Anybody else learn the song? A few people, all right, I know some of you like grew up in church and some of you didn't, and so let me just benefit you, let me bless you for a moment. Really? No. Okay, if you want it, all right, 
the saga. <laughs> but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All right. So you can memorize it that way if you wanted to. If you wanted to remember, it's a good reminder. It does say, you know, our, our text says long-suffering instead of patience. It just didn't fit, I think, in the song. And so they changed it to patience. But... These are the fruit of the Spirit. This is what is produced in you when you are walking in the Spirit. This is what is produced in your relationships when both people are walking in the Spirit. This is what is produced in the people who are influencing us and leading us when they are walking in the Spirit. And so this becomes a filter for us to use. All right? The first thing is love. The fruit of the Spirit is love. He uses the word agape. Agape is unconditional, all-encompassing uh, all love. Joy, and specifically, this word is used um, when, it, at the time, was used in the context of relationships. The joy that we have with each other, when we love each other. Okay, you know that you know that joy that you have when you really love someone and you're serving each other and you're in that great relationship. That kind of joy, love, joy, peace. Again, this word very specific actually meant like national peace or interpersonal peace. This is about peace in our relation, not just internal peace, but peace in our relationships. This is what the spirit produces, love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness. Kindness is actually doing good. It's, it's what the produce that comes out of us. Goodness, which is internal virtue and commitment to the truth. Faithfulness, he actually just uses, he doesn't say faithfulness, he actually just uses the word uh, faith. It's just faith uh, is one of the fruit. Gentleness, um, this is meekness or humility. Um, and this word is really interesting to me, meekness. I don't know if you've ever heard the old phrase, meekness is not weakness, it's great power under control. Um, uh, Aristotle defined this word, because this is a common Greek word, right? Aristotle defined it as the mean or the middle ground, the mean between excessive proneness to anger and incapacity for anger. So it's not that you don't get angry. It's not that there isn't righteous anger. It's that it's under control. It's that it's, it's tempered, all right? It's tempered. Self-control, and this is mastering our desires and our passions and what we do. And he says, against such things, there is no law. You don't need a law against these things because they fulfill the law. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is this the fruit of your life? Is this the fruit of the lives of the people that you're allowing to influence you and tell you how to think about things, about how, how to think about other people, how to think about the world or yourself and your relationship with God? Now, those, those things sound an awful lot like know God, find hope, live free, do good to me. <laughs> that that's what he wants us to be doing. He says in verse 24, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, nailed it to the cross, have crucified the flesh. It's a choice that we're making. Have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And so here are the two lists. We, I think we have the two lists to put up on the screen. Here are the two lists. Which one are you living on? Which side are you walking on? The people who are leading you, who are influencing you, which side are they walking on? 
The choice that we need to make every single day is to walk in the spirit instead of walking in the flesh. And say, what I want to see is I want to see the produce of the spirit, not the produce of the flesh. And as you do that, he is going to lead you to higher levels of holiness and commitment to him than any law could ever hold you to. And so together, and it's not just me, but it's us, together, we want to see this being produced in our lives. The people that I love, I want to see the fruit of the Spirit coming out of their life, just like in mine. And so think about your relationship, and you're going to spend a lot of time with friends, family, and other people this week. Think about how you can bring the Spirit to bear on whatever situation you're in so that you can walk in the Spirit when you're with your family, your extended family this week. So that you can walk in the spirit when you're even in those difficult situations and not walk in the flesh as you continue in discipleship and following Christ. All right, let's pray together. and Let's take a moment to to commit this to him and ask him to take over our lives. Father, we come to you and recognize in Christ that we are your your children. Through, Through faith in Christ, you've extended your grace to us, and we thank you for that. And so today, we want you to know, and I'm just going to speak on behalf of everyone here and, and hope and pray that they, that they agree with me, that we've put our faith in you for salvation and become your child, and we know we're free. Now, in the freedom that we have, not because we have to, but because we want to, because we love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because we love our neighbors ourselves, we want to walk in the Spirit every single day in every single aspect. And we know that our flesh is here. It's the default state. We know that it it is going to be there in the absence of the Spirit. And so what we're asking you to do is to show us right now the areas of our life where we may not have handed this over to you. And that we may choose and that we will choose right now in this moment to submit ourselves to you in freedom, to submit ourselves to you and trust you and follow you and love you and serve you to look to your word, to understand what your will and your desire is for our life and our behavior and all of those things and to follow what you say is best. That you would show us the the sneaky areas in our life that we might look at and, and justify and say, well, that's just me. It's just how I'm wired. And that we would be humble enough to say, God, you may want to rewire us. You may want to change the way that I look at that, the way I respond to that. And God, we would love to to change right in an instant and to totally turn the page. But we are in this constant battle and we are weak and you are strong. And so we need you to help us. We need you to help take over these areas. We need you to give us strength. We need you to give us presence of mind and clarity, not only to see them, but to continue the fight, to see it when the flesh sneaks back in and when the flesh takes back over. And to say, I know you, old friend, but I'm not gonna follow you anymore and to choose to walk in the Spirit. God, we need you to help us with that. We need you to transform us into the image of Jesus. For our part, we will choose you. And we're asking you to lead us. And so we want you to know that we love you and we trust you. We are your children and we will help each other with this. Not in judgment, not in condemnation, not in any of that. We will help each other walk in the spirit. We will help each other fight against sin and the flesh. We will point each other toward you and your desire and your will for our life. Because not only are we your children, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So help us to walk in that fellowship that we have every single day, fellowship with each other. 
in fellowship with you. We take all of this and we offer it to you and we thank you for everything that you're gonna do and everything that you've done. It's in your name we pray, amen.